Good morning, everyone, and so glad to be here with you. We're going to continue to uh, worship in the service this morning, and we've just entered into the Advent season, and our first candle was lit, and so we're going to be reflecting on this season and what it means for the life of our community and those of us who are following after Jesus. Can you believe that Christmas is coming? You know, the question that we should really be asking in the Advent season is, what happens when God comes? And I want to read to you a scripture from Luke 21, 25, that is a description of what happens when God comes, and it is a true Advent text. So I'm going to read it to you, and then we'll, we'll see how it strikes us, and we'll unpack it together. Before I read this morning's scripture, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that uh, you would be with us in this time as we reflect on your word. I just pray that you would speak, Lord, that we would um, come to know in truer, more meaningful ways for our discipleship what you uh, want us to do in this season of Advent, how Scripture speaks to us about preparing for the coming of your Son, Lord Jesus, um, uh, Jesus coming into the world. And so we just pray now, um, be with us, um, help us, stir in us, convict us, and move us into deeper uh, walks of discipleship with you. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen. Luke 21, 25 says this, There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and the tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming into the world. For the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. How does the text strike you this morning? A bit of a jolt, perhaps? Advent is really where things get weird. Jesus gets a little weird right at the beginning. You know, Advent is the start of the Christian liturgical year, and the text we just read is a classic Advent text. The church is in the habit of subscribing to the theory that we should probably start with a soft touch, ease people into things. And yet Jesus, at the very beginning, is speaking to us with images of people fainting and signs in the sun and moon and stars with all of this vivid imagery of nations shaking in anguish and perplexity. 
And so we see this apocalyptic imagery that Jesus is describing as he says, this is what happens when God comes. This is what it looks like. It's almost like if you're a surfer, this is the season to really uh, start surfing again because winter is when the swells come in and there's actually legitimate surf here in the South Bay, but of course it's cold. And so getting into the water is challenging. And it's really only until you dive fully into a wave that you feel comfortable in the winter surf. If you tiptoe in the water, slowly getting colder and colder and never getting fully immersed in the water, it is like a slow torture. And so Jesus rips the band-aid and he says, let's begin in the end. Let me tell you where all of this is headed. But my theory is that it's not just the vivid imagery that startles us from this text. It also strikes us as odd that Jesus is speaking to us about a full redemption. This morning, Jesus is offering redemption to people who are not all that sure that we need redeeming. Flannery O'Connor once wrote, any man with a good car don't need redemption. We come to church so frequently for a good tune-up, a good moral lesson, uh, but this idea that we don't have to do anything and that Jesus is coming into the world to save us may not at first strike us as good news if we like our world, if the world is working for us, if things are going our way, we'd much prefer just to tune up to a full reimagining of the world around us or being saved from the world. But if you are struggling, if you are at the end of yourself, if you are at a part of a people being oppressed, persecuted, and struggling, this news that Jesus will one day come in turbulent times and the Son of Man will come with power on clouds to redeem your people, that would have been good news. I remember it was approximately 3 a.m., I was still drinking coffee, which I probably didn't need because I was running on anxiety anyways, and I was cramming as much of my old school, Old Testament, well-respected professor Leslie Allen's uh, lectures into my brain as I prepped for a big exam the next morning when all of a sudden I felt the ground begin to shake and I saw books start falling off the bookshelf and some plates falling in the kitchen come crashing on the ground and it was in that moment that I told Jesus it's okay you can 
Come now, if you would like. You see, when we are desperate and afraid, when things aren't going our way, Jesus knows a full redemption and rescue strikes us as good news. Apocalyptic redemptive. That is the deep end of the Christian faith. And I know we're all good intellectual Presbyterians, and we like to think our way through all of the implications of the text, but perhaps for a moment, pause and think, how does the text strike you upon first reading? Perhaps it is a litmus test where you find yourself and how much Advent is for you, how much what Jesus says is good news to you, Advent is for a people with no hope. It is a counter-narrative to the narrative of the world. It is a story that is startling, striking, and disruptive in the way that if we imagine God coming to earth, that it would be startling, striking, and disruptive. And so the sermon is not about you or about me, but about God. And what happens when God comes? I would love it if we as a community together could learn what it looks like and prepare for God coming into the world. That I could learn myself how to prepare and then I could help you to prepare for God coming into the world. And to seek that wonderful moment where we dare to allow Jesus to talk weird to us. And to ask disruptive questions like, Have we gotten too smart and too clever to need the kind of redemption that Jesus has to offer? Where have we placed our faith in this Advent season? What are we hoping for in the end? Where are we headed? And where is God going? Two trustworthy guides in the season of Advent are Simeon and Anna. I love their story. It's short, found Um, right after Jesus' birth, and so I'm going to read it to you, even though Jesus is already on the scene. The story is really about the faithfulness of these two biblical heroes in the season before Jesus was born. We're going to be in Luke um, chapter 2, starting at verse 25, says this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was right and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, As you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for, rev- for a revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. My son's birthday was this last week, and it was somewhere in the middle of his third or fourth birthday gathering with different friends and family that he turned to me and he said, Dad, when is my next birthday? (laughs) You see, six-year-olds teach you so much about anticipation. They are so excited for Christmas. And I wonder if a bit of this childlike excitement and anticipation for Christmas was something that Anna and Simeon represent scripturally as they anticipated that first Christmas, not for the toys like the children want, but for Jesus himself to come into the world. They anticipated and prayed and prayed and prayed and looked and searched and prayed and prayed and prayed until that first Christmas came and they realized what they were praying for was Christmas. Childlike anticipation is not something that is easy to maintain. But for Anna and Simeon, there was no other option. They were part of a people who were struggling and hurting. And Anna herself was a widow who no longer had a household to take care of or anyone to take care of her And so she dedicated her life to the only option she had left, which was to be in the temple day and night in prayer. And it was in that place of anticipation and adoration that she was given the gift of receiving the fulfillment of her heart's longing and playing this role in ushering in Jesus, the incarnation. And I wonder, I wonder if the church, if we have lost some of this adoration that comes from anticipation. 
Thomas R. Kelly writes, Life is meant to be lived from a center, a divine center. Life from the center is a life of unhurried peace and power. It is simple. It is serene. It is amazing. It is triumphant. It is radiant. It takes no time, but it occupies all our time. It makes our life programs new and overcoming. We need not get frantic. He is at the helm. And when our little day is done, we will lie down quietly in peace, for all is well. Simeon was led by the Holy Spirit in adoration to be there for this moment, this Christmas moment, this moment that maybe could be defined by the hymn that defines this season, O come, let us adore him. And so the God that Simeon met through the Holy Spirit and the God that Anna met in the temple through her intimate prayer, the presence of God that was met there was also met in fleshed in front of them. They lived to see their prayers become a reality. And they were faithful to the cause. And they endured. They endured day after day until they grew old and tired and weary. Each day clinging to this promise that perhaps they would get to see God. George MacDonald once wrote, He who would be born again indeed must wake his soul unnumbered times a day and urge himself to life with holy greed. Anna and Simeon woke themselves to life every day conjured their will every day to, to adore Jesus. Psalm 103 echoes this sentiment, says, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. All my inmost being. Praise his holy name as if the psalmist is stirring his own soul to praise of the Holy One of Heaven. How might we jumpstart our souls, or the engine of our souls, this Advent? To turn our attention like that first text taught us, in Luke, away from all of the chaos of the world and to the Holy One. Adoration says our, harps, our, our hopes are solely found in Jesus, who is coming. So we wait with glad and expectant hearts. While we wait, we become symbols of hope, love, peace, and joy. And we become symbols of the reality of the future. That there is a Savior that is coming 
And he is coming for every last inch of this earth. What satisfaction it must have given Anna and Simeon to see their life's calling lived out in such a way. Let me ask two more weird questions that Jesus is asking in this season. Have we lost our ability to adore Jesus even when we don't have all the answers we need? Thomas R. Kelly writes again, For God himself works in our souls in the deepest depths, taking increasing control as we are progressively willing to be prepared for his wonder. We can adore Jesus without having all of the answers. In the midst of the messiness, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of it all, we still prepare in our innermost selves for wonder at what God is going to do with it all. Knowing there's not much we can do with it except to join with God and his plan. Or another question, maybe we should ask, how far are we willing to take this adoration? Maybe we do feel our hearts turning to Jesus in this season and realizing that the other options will not give us what our hearts yearn for. But how much are we willing to turn the dial up on our adoration and say, this is really the work that I am called to do in this season. And it is not glamorous work. It wasn't glamorous every day for Anna to go to the temple, but she did it. And I'm sure there were days where she felt foolish to return again and again and again to the temple to pray. Some days I'm sure she wasn't in the mood. Some days I'm sure there was probably other things that she would have rather done. But she went to the temple day and night to do the work of prayer. Tellurard de Chardin says this beautiful prayer. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something new or unknown. And yet, it is the law of all progress that is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. And so, I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves with Without undue haste, don't try to force them on as though you could be today what time, that is to say, grace and circumstances acting on your own will will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you and accept, the, and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. 
Advent is all about loose ends and anticipating a future reality which we do not experience now. And so, in the tension, we commit ourselves to do the slow work of God. To receive the calling of the Spirit and in maturity to say, would you make something new in us, Lord Jesus, as we prepare for you to come this Christmas. Lord Jesus, may you add a blessing to our prayers and to our acts of obedience. And may it be a spirit that captivates, that consumes, and that moves us into wonderful, surprising joy that we can have access to all that you would have for us. And so we come, Lord, in anticipation, knowing that you are high and lifted up, that you are the Holy One of heaven, that in you all good things are held, that you are the King of kings, the Alpha and Omega, the Mighty One. You are the one who will be there in the end. And we thank you, Lord, that you will come to redeem us and that we will know what it is like to be saved by you. Come for our full hearts this year and help us to live now representing faith, hope, love, peace, and joy. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.